yesterday's podcast i was discussing sanjeev sanyal's book land of the seven rivers which is really the history of the geography of india but also tries to answer some of the difficult questions in indian history and particularly i discussed the question of the indus valley civilization and uh, its connection with the modern day hinduism or the indian culture in general so we learned that uh, just around 2000 bc the indus valley civilization it had started to decline and then we also learned that around the similar time a new civilization was growing which we now know as the hindu civilization or the vedic civilization and now the question here is quite interesting that these two civilizations are they in some way connected or are they completely different belonging to different people so these are the questions that uh, deserve some explanations and of course the answers as well so i turn back back to the same book and uh, i'll read the next parts of the book which talk about the vedic culture and uh, the author tries to reconcile these two civilizations the vedic civilization and the indus valley civilization based on all the archaeological evidence that we have so here we go i'm going to narrate some parts from the book the vedas are the oldest scriptures of the hindu tradition and they consist of four books rig sama yajur and atharva they consist mostly of prayers hymns and instructions on how to conduct rituals and fire sacrifices they were composed and compiled over several centuries by poets and philosophers the rigveda is the oldest of the four and organized in 10 sections it is the oldest extant book in the world and remains in active use indeed it is considered by most hindus to be the most sacred of texts and one of one of its hymns the gayatri mantra is chanted daily by millions it has been variously translated by scholars over the centuries here is my interpretation as you light up the heavens and the earth o radiant sun so light up my mind the rigveda is composed in a very archaic form of sanskrit and is undoubtedly very old however there is a great deal of disagreement about exactly how old the dates range from 4000 bc to 1000 bc dating it is no easy task since it was probably compiled over decades or even centuries and remained a purely orally transmitted tradition till the 3rd century ad nonetheless it is clear that the rigveda belongs to the bronze age as it does not mention any iron the earliest possible mention of iron comes in the atharva veda which was compiled many centuries later and talks of a krishna ayas or dark bronze 
Similarly, we know that iron was in use in India by 1700 BC. This would roughly date the Atharvaveda. Allowing for a centuries between the composition of the first and the last Veda, it would not be unreasonable to say the Rig Veda was compiled no later than 2000 BC. Since the 19th century, the Rig Veda has been used to reconstruct early Indian history. At the outset, let me point, point out that this is fraught with difficulty. The book is mainly concerned with religion and philosophy and is not meant as an encyclopedia of social and political conditions. It is a bit like guessing the history of the Roman Empire by reading the New Testament. Nonetheless, it does provide an interesting glimpse of a Bronze Age society, its social customs, its material and philosophical concerns, its gods and its tribal feuds. With one exception, however, it is difficult to discern actual historical events from the hymns. The geography of the book, by contrast, is very clear. To the east, the book talks of the Ganga River and to the west of the Kabul River. It also shows awareness of the Himalayan mountains in the north and the seas to the south. This is a very well-defined geographical area and interestingly, roughly coincides with the Harappan world. Most interesting of all, the Rig Veda speaks repeatedly of a great river called the Saraswati. It is described as the greatest of rivers. Forty-five of the Rig Veda hymns shower praise on the Saraswati. No other river or geographical feature comes close in importance. The Ganga is barely mentioned twice and the Indus, although referred to as a mighty river, is not given the same reverence. In contrast, the Saraswati is called the mother of all rivers and great among the great, the most impetuous of rivers. It is even called the inspirer of hymns, suggesting that the Rig Veda was composed on its banks. The problem is that there is no living river in modern India that fits the description. This has led some historians to argue that the Saraswati is a figment of poetic imagination. Others have tried to identify it with the Helmand River in Afghanistan. However, the Rig Veda itself describes the geographical location of the river. In the Hymn to the Rivers, the major rivers are enumerated from east to west, starting with the Ganga. The hymn clearly places the Saraswati between the Yamuna and the Satluj. There is no room for doubt. There is only one river that could fit this description, the Ghagar. Its riverbed may be dry today, but satellite and ground surveys unequivocally tell us that it was once a mighty river. It is very difficult to escape the conclusion that the Rig Vedic people and the Harappans were dealing with the same river. There is a further twist. Unlike later texts, the Rig Veda does not mention a drying Saraswati. Instead, it mentions clearly that the Saraswati entered the sea in full flow. This would suggest that the text was composed before 2600 BC. Even more intriguingly, the Rig Veda mentions poets and compositions from an even earlier age, although their works have not survived. So, we could be dealing with a culture that coincides with the early Harappan age. 
I know that not all scholars would agree with this, but it is important to keep this possibility in mind. So, can one reconcile these two accounts? The Harappan civilization and the Rig Veda coincide on many things, their time frames, their geography, the Bronze Age technology, and even on the existence of the Saraswati River. Were they the same people? Combined with the genetic data discussed in the early chapter, it would seem that we are dealing with a population and culture that has continuously inhabited the subcontinent for a very long time. For some, especially archaeologists like Bibilal, the matter is settled. However, there are many scholars who remain skeptical. Let us look at many of the arguments usually put forward against identifying the Harappans with the Rig Vedic people. We'll start with the weaker arguments and make our way to the more serious ones. One of the oldest arguments is that the Rig Vedic people were nomads from Central Asia who could not have built the sophisticated cities of the Indus Valley. This is why, so the argument goes, the Rig Veda shows little knowledge of India's geography beyond the northwest. This is a spurious argument because the Rig Veda neither mentions an invasion nor does it show any knowledge of Central Asia. All we can garner from the text is that these people were living in the area that corresponds roughly to modern-day Haryana, western Uttar Pradesh and Punjab including Pakistani Punjab. They also knew about the Himalayas in the north, the seas in the south, the Ganga to the east and eastern Afghanistan to the west. It is entirely possible that they may have known about South India or Central Asia but the text tells us nothing about this. Furthermore, the Rig Vedic people are clearly aware of settled agriculture and of cities. Both inhabited by themselves and those inhabited by their enemies. They are not wild nomads from the steppes as has been suggested. Admittedly, the Rig Veda does not obviously reflect the Harappan obsession with municipal order but then it is a religious book and should not be expected to delve into the intricacies of sewage systems. The second spurious argument is that the Rig Vedic people were iron-wielding Aryans who were at constant war with their enemies called Dasas. The term Arya is commonly used in Sanskrit literature, but is never used in a racial sense. It refers to a cultured or noble person which means that all groups like to refer to themselves as Aryan and to their enemies as non-Aryan. The use of the word in a racial sense occurs in the ancient Iran and modern Europe, but not in India. Similarly, we need to be careful with the use of the word Dasa to denote non-Aryan enemies, especially when the greatest of the Aryan chieftains mentioned in the Rig Veda is a Dasa himself, Sudasa, that is, the son of Devadasa. In other words, the Rig Veda hardly gives us a consistent picture of Arya-Dasa conflict. It is rather a mishmash of tribal feuds between clans whose ethnic background can no longer be discerned. Their technology is decidedly Bronze Age and the use of iron appears many centuries later in the Atharv Veda, if at all. 
By all accounts, iron smelting was an indigenously developed technology that arose in central India from the plentiful iron ore found there. It could not have been an imported technological advantage that the invaders exercised over the locals. In my view, the more serious argument against identifying the Vedic Indians with the Harappans relates to the use of horses. The Rig Veda frequently mentions the bull and the horse. The former is a common theme in Harappan art, but the horse appears to be conspicuously missing. I have not yet found a full explanation for this and perhaps the answer lies in the hundreds of the unexcavated sites littered across India and Pakistan or in the thousands of bags of animal bones from earlier excavations that have not been ex examined for decades. Nonetheless, I would like to add two qualifications. First, it is very likely that Harappans were at least familiar with the horse even if it was not a commonly used animal. The horse was domesticated in Central Asia around 4000 BC and we know that a millennium later the Harappans had a trading outpost on the Amudarya. Surely they would have noticed how the locals had tamed an animal that could be so useful. In fact, it would not be surprising if they were there to procure horses. After all, the importation of horses remains a common theme throughout later Indian history. Thus, one could argue that it was the horse and not the iron who was imported. Indeed, there is independent evidence to suggest horses were familiar animals even in central India from a very early stage. The Stone Age rock paintings of Bhimbetka show horses. The Neolithic site of Mahagara on the Belen River has yielded horse bones which may indicate a familiarity with the animal from a pre-Harappan era. In short, there may have been plenty of horses about which fits with the fact that the so-called non-Aryan tribes in the Rig Veda also appear to have horses of their own. Second, it is not entirely true that there are no signs of horse in Harappan sites. While the horse is not depicted in any of the seals, there are at least two terracotta figurines that depict a horse-like creature. The set of chessmen found in Lothal too has a piece that looks like a horse's head. There are even claims that horse bones have been found in a few places and have been positively identified by leading scholars although critics still argue that these remains are of donkeys and not horses. I'm not qualified to judge this, but merely want readers to know that the absence of horses can no longer be evoked quite so easily to debunk the idea that the Harappans and the Vedic people were somehow related. In my view, the really interesting debate relates to lions and not horses. We'll visit it in the next chapter. On balance, the evidence appears to have tipped in favor of the archaeologists rather than the historians. New information, including genetic data, appears to be strengthening their hand. Over time, it is possible that the remaining controversies will be ironed out, including that of the horse and the lion. My own sense is that the Harappans were a multi-ethnic society, rather like India today. The Rig Vedic people could well have been a part of this bubbling mix.